Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. At Home in Your Hymnal is a program designed to help you be more comfortable with worshiping as a Lutheran, to be at home with the fact that we have a hymnal that we worship out of, to be at home in that hymnal in the divine service or in personal, private devotions at home to encourage people to actually have a hymnal in their home. And for the last several episodes, we've been looking at hymns every Lutheran should know, kind of a subjective way to look at things, but uh, it's been very, very well received. And we want to take a look at one more Advent hymn before we shift our focus. And today we are parking the car at Lutheran Service Book 357. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Pastor, uh, you didn't grow up in the Lutheran Church. Was this a uh, was this a hymn, an Advent or Christmas hymn that uh, you sang growing up? Yeah, I think um, this hymn is kind of um, common amongst most of Christianity, even uh, going all the way back to when it was written in Latin. Uh, and so I think it's common and familiar, whether you're Lutheran or uh, Disciples of Christ or or Catholic or wherever, it's, it's a common hymn. And I think part of that, uh, even today, you know, we have uh, like Mannheim Steamroller and, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, Bing Crosby sang it. So, Bing Crosby, Andy Williams, Perry Como, you know, all the stars sang the Christmas carols, including this one. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I think a lot of people are familiar with this. And it's amazing that as familiar as this hymn is, we really know very little about its origins. It's just always been around. Our uh, kids, when we had our school up and running, the kids would learn it in Latin and sing it in Latin and show off and had lots of fun doing that. But um, where this hymn comes from, Pastor, what do we know? Well, um, this particular hymn uh has its source from a long time ago with what we call the O Antiphons. And the O Antiphons are a set of little uh, poetic texts that talk about the different names of Jesus uh, as they're used and taught, especially in the Advent season, which would be recited as a part of the evening service um, in the medieval church, in the ancient church, during the season of Advent as a reminder of who it is that we're waiting for, who's coming. Uh, that's the theme of Advent, Jesus is coming. Who is it that's coming? And these O antiphons uh, would be kind of a way to teach that. In fact, we have uh, one set of them in your hymnal on page 357, right next to this hymn, O Come, o Come Emmanuel. And so uh, the hymn takes those O antiphons and turns them into a versification originally in Latin um, that then gets translated into English, and this is what we sing on a regular basis. Okay, the, uh, the little bit that I was able to found said that prior to the ninth century, so that means before the 800s, Yes. Uh, so sometime in the 6th or 7th century, prior or 7th uh, or 8th century, Prior to the ninth century, it became common to chant an antiphon before and after the Magnificat at Vespers. So, you know, you have the sermon, and right after the sermon, you have the Magnificat. And so this antiphon was chanted before and after, and it was done uh, December 17th through December 23rd, the last seven days of Advent, as a salute to the coming Messiah. 
and then uh, these antiphons were uh, put into verse in the 12th or 13th century, so that's 11 or 12, 1100s or 1200s, by some unknown author. And I think if I um, remember my English history right, too, I think even before that, uh, a famous poet from, uh, this is before the Norman Conquest, of course, but Anglo-Saxon Britain named Cunewulf uh, took them and also started versifying them into hymns. It's not the same hymn that we have today, but even the idea of that was done uh, much before the 12th century. The uh, the other, I mean, it's always been in most of the hymnals that I looked across, it was author unknown, author unattributed. Uh, in one more recent book, I did come across a line, and it says, um, let's see here. In the 1906 issue of the Musical Times, it was stated that the tune had been found in a small 15th century processional belonging to a community of French Franciscan nuns. Now, I don't know if they wrote it. I don't know if they took it and uh, did something um, uh, did something unusual with it. But uh, at some point in time, the uh, tune that we have now has come to us. Now, Pastor, while we're talking about the music, I do want to say one other thing. What about um, this plain song. It's made a big deal out of the fact that this is a plain song tune and that it is so simple to sing and simple to learn. Here is a truly notable plain song tune, skillfully and economically constructed from a simple phrase and its inversion. Notice also that the refrain is almost identical to the opening phrases except for a change in rhythm. What does all that mean? Well, uh, plain song is a type of um, music or uh, um, oh, a style of music. I'm trying to put it in simple words here. Genre? That reflects the chants that would have been sung by monastic people uh, in the Middle Ages. And so simple. It's simple. simple. It has one tune. Everybody sings the same tune, uh, and it's it's able to be followed along really well. Uh, and, and that's why it was used for liturgies and things like that for monks, because the whole congregation could sing it together. You didn't have to break them apart and learn parts and things like that. And so that's what the the word plain song means. It's a monophonic, I think, is the word. Um a single melodic line that makes up the song. Okay. Now, when it comes to these O antiphons, the O antiphons were first, and then the song or the music or the hymn was created from the O antiphons when somebody put them into verse. When I look at my O antiphons, they're in a different order than uh, the, the hymn verses that we sing. Because the first stanza of LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the most common stanza is the very last antiphon. Uh, 
So at some point in time, the last one, which talks about Emmanuel, God with us, got shifted up to the first with regard to singing the hymn. Yeah, you have any thoughts or comments, observations on that? Well, it's probably because of its usage. When you're doing it as an antiphon before the Magnificat in an evening service, um, you know, you don't need the context of what the whole point of the hymn is. But when it's a hymn that's being used independently in a church service, you want to introduce the, the theme and the idea to start with. And that's what the last antiphon does that gets turned into the first verse of the hymn. It says, we're singing about Emmanuel, Jesus, uh, who's going to be born uh, of Mary, wrapped in swaddling cloths, and laid in a manger. That's the focus that we're rejoicing at and that we're looking forward to. And so we introduce that to begin with in the hymn because that sets the stage for everything else, where in the liturgical setting you do it the other direction because... It's the culmination then. You've been preparing for it each day, and now you have the fullness of it um, in uh, the evening before Christmas Eve. I I hate to say it, Pastor, but that was a brilliant explanation. Thank you. Uh, I've always wondered that. I've had some kind of inclinations back and forth historically and musically, but theologically, in the context of the liturgy, that is a perfect explanation, so thank you. Even a broken clock's right twice a day. Hey, there you go. Well, let's, let's start then with the O Antiphon for December 23rd, which is the O Emmanuel Antiphon. Pastor, do you want to you speak that? that antiphon, and then we'll take a look at the first stanza of the hymn. O Emmanuel, our King and our Lord, the anointed for the nations and their Savior, come and save us, O Lord our God. All right, what stands out in that antiphon for you? Well, uh, first off, Emmanuel uh, is the words from the book of Isaiah that is literally means God with us, which then is reflected at Matthew 28 as well. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we're talking about Jesus, and we call him our King and also our Lord. And the word Lord here is capitalized because it's meaning the Lord God. Uh, and he is their Savior appointed for the nations. And so we have all these titles for Jesus uh, that we are— proclaiming as we prepare for the birth of Christ. And then we we're bringing to a close, in a sense, Advent. It's the culmination of Advent, and so we're also bringing that theme of how he is coming, Advent, uh, towards us. Uh, Come and save us, O Lord our God. And so we have both the theme of Advent as well as all these different titles and uh, teaching moments about Jesus. We We have it clearly stated here that he is our Savior, Our Savior from what? Our Savior from sin. And that goes back to Matthew 1, where uh, it is quoted that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and will give him the name Emmanuel. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. This is clearly taught in Scripture. Uh, uh, Stanza 1, Pastor, says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. So what is this captivity or this exile that we are talking about? We're not not talking about a literal, like, Babylonian captivity, are we? Well, that's the setting that helps us understand what it's really talking about. Um, In uh, 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroys Jerusalem, burns it to the ground, and takes the survivors uh, away into exile in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And uh, uh, 
the people there, we have the great psalm, you know, on the shores of the river of Babylon, we sat down and we wept, and then it talks about bashing in the heads of the children of those who had taken them, uh, a psalm of lamenting and mourning. And um, that's the way these people felt when they were taken away from their home. Now, this is a common theme because it also happens for uh, the Israelites when they go down into Egypt. Uh, It happens again when uh, the Romans destroy uh, Jerusalem again. This is a common theme for God's people being taken into exile. And it applies then not just to God's people of Israel, but to the whole world in the sense that we are exiled from God, uh, not by a foreign army, but by our own sin, which separates us from God and creates a barrier between us and God. And that's the referenced exile that's being talked about here in the hymn, Our Sin. Let's, uh, let's hear now, as we go into our first break, let's hear stanza one of LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We are taking a look at hymns every Lutheran should know. We're parking the car at Advent Hymns right now. We're looking at LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is episode 54, which means we've got 53 other episodes archived, looking at the liturgy, looking at the theology and practice of Lutheran worship, and for the last 10 episodes or so, looking at some uh, wonderful, wonderful Lutheran hymns. You can check that out on uh, any of your podcast providers at Home in Your Hymnal under the general heading of KNNA Theological Programming. Thank you so much, Pastor. And we've got a pretty good archive, too, at thecross957.org. We appreciate your feedback. 
And in our first segment of this episode 54, we took a look at kind of an introduction to the hymn. We don't know a whole lot about uh, author and timing and all that, but we've got uh, pretty educated guests on a lot of that stuff. We want to get into the meat and to the bulk of it. And we looked at stanza one, which is based on the seventh of the seven O antiphons, the O antiphon for December 23rd. Pastor Moline gave a... Uh, no kidding, folks, a brilliant explanation of how the last antiphon became the first verse in the hymn. And uh, it's just amazing. The, uh, we, need to get, we need to get it out there right off the bat. Who is this hymn about? It is about Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, God in the flesh. He is the reason why we are joyfully anticipating, celebrating yet another Christ- Christmas, and at the same time waiting for Christ to return in all of his power and might and glory. Let's, uh, let's take a look at uh, stanza two, which is uh, based on the O antiphon for December 17. You want to read the antiphon first, Pastor? <clears throat> o wisdom proceeding from the mouth of the Most High, pervading and permeating all creation, mightily ordering all things. Come and teach us the way of prudence. Okay. Um, Pastor, we've talked a lot about wisdom, um, you and I together, and especially on our uh, other programs, the uh, Proclaiming the One programs, whenever Proverbs comes up in the lectionary, and especially when Proverbs 8 comes up in the lectionary, uh, this wisdom, is this, is this some kind of a, a Gnostic or Platonic kind of an idea, this uh, let the force be with you, wisdom floating around in the atmosphere in the universe? What is this wisdom? Well, um, in, in one sense, it kind of is. I mean, it's this idea of uh, really smart, really wise things, you know, that uh, the understanding you get with much experience. But in a much deeper theological way, wisdom is a reference to God, specifically to Jesus Christ being the wisdom uh, of the world, the one who created the world, the one who set everything into order. And this is what it's kind of talking about here in this particular uh, verse as well. Um, The wisdom that proceeds from the mouth of the Most High, the Word of God, in other words, pervading and permeating all creation. How did the world come into existence? God spoke his word and things appeared. Uh, And we know this word then also became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this wisdom that it's talking about is Jesus, to be completely clear about it. The, uh, The wisdom is Jesus. And when we have proceeding from the mouth of the Most High, we have that word picture that the Holy Spirit gives us through the Apostle John in John chapter 1. The Word, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him, through this Word, all things were created. Nothing was created that wasn't created by him. So we have the Word of God. We have God in the flesh. That's coming a little bit later in John 1. And we have creation. In this uh, in this antiphon, Pastor, it says, Come and teach us the way of Prudence. Prudence isn't a word we use very much. Uh, What is it? Yeah, prudence makes think of the Beatles song, Dear Prudence, right? Uh, (laughs) One of their their best songs. Um, Prudence is um, cautiousness or carefulness or um, being aware of what you're doing and what's going on. And so, in a sense, prudence in this case would mean 
um, doing what is right and salutary and good rather than walking in the way of sin and fleshly desires and things like that. Yeah, and I think that's important for us to know, too. In a, in a way, it's walking in the way of the light instead of the darkness, right. which is another one of those great themes from John 1. Uh, Pastor, you want to read stanza two now of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come thou wisdom from on high, who orderest all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go. Okay, so we want to see if the versification of the antiphon is faithful to the antiphon. And I think I think it's very faithful, Pastor, don't you? Yeah, it matches up uh, theme-wise, uh, even closely word-wise as well. Okay, now uh, stanza two of... O come, O come, Emmanuel, O wisdom from on high, is uh, has a little bit of a controversy with it, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it a little bit. When I was at the seminary, one of my professors said, now when you get to your parish, do not let the people sing verse 2, stanza 2, of O come, O come, Emmanuel. And I was never quite sure if he was talking about that there are some people that would uh, deny that wisdom is Jesus and that uh, this was going to be perpetuating some kind of a false teaching or if there was something else. Well, over the years, it's uh, come to my attention that it was probably something else. And it has to do with a little pronoun a little bit later in the... Uh, in the stanza, if wisdom is Jesus, and if it is clearly, this hymn is clearly talking about the wisdom of Proverbs 8, which is a messianic prophecy of Jesus, how in the world can we say in that last line, and teach us in her ways to go? Pastor, can, can you frame this discussion or this argument so our hearers can make an intelligent choice? Yeah, um, maybe the first thing we need to talk about is um, what's known as metaphorical gender, which is uh, giving an inanimate objects a gender when we speak about them. And uh, this is something that's not quite as common in English. It's more common in ancient languages like Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, uh, but it still is used here in English as well. And a good example of that would be um, like a ship. What do you call a ship? Is it a boy or a girl? It's she. It's a she, and that doesn't even matter if the ship, uh, example off the top of my head, I think there's a uh, British ship that's known as the uh, King George V, which was a famous uh, battleship during at least the beginning of World War II. And the ship King George V was still her Right, it's a it's and a, the Titanic. The and Titanic, yeah. Well, that would be another good example because Titan, Titanic, yeah. Uh, it's a her because it's a ship, and all ships have the metaphorical gender of feminine. Uh, in in languages, though, we also have l- gender that's assigned to particular words, and in some cases, this helps us tell the difference between like uh, a cow and a bull. They're both cattle, but we call one a cow and we call one a bull, or a hen and a drake, or a hen and a rooster. Uh, We have these words that go with the gender. Uh, In other languages, the ending tells us the gender. And in Greek, the word for wisdom is Sophia, 
which is feminine. In Hebrew, the word for wisdom is chokmah, which is feminine. And um, so because these words have a feminine ending and because metaphorical gender uh, needs to be applied properly, here we still refer to... Uh, to her ways, meaning wisdom's ways, because wisdom is a feminine word. It doesn't mean that Jesus is a woman. Uh, I mean, who would even think that? Um, it means that we're being consistent with our grammar so that the antecedent wisdom is known to be what the word her is referring to. If we changed it, teach uh, teach us in his ways to go, we have no antecedent, grammatically speaking, in the sentence that that can refer to, which can cause more confusion. So he, so here's the bottom line question. Is it easier to keep in the word her with regard to wisdom and then just clearly teach that the wisdom is Jesus and the her is not calling Jesus a girl? Or would it be simpler just to uh, get out your pencil and change your hymnal from her to him. What uh, uh, her to his? What uh, w- what do you think? Well, if we believe grammar actually exists and does something, we should keep it the way that it's written. Because, like I said, the her, the antecedent that is feminine, is the word wisdom, and therefore they go together, and that is telling you what the referent is. Okay, so uh, for any of our hearers that are out there. Do not be worried. Do not be concerned. Uh, we we are not trying to sneak in some sort of a cross-gendered or transgendered Savior. Jesus is a male, uh, God in the flesh. Jesus uh, is a man, uh, as Scripture clearly teaches. Wisdom is uh, a very, very clear reference, a messianic reference to the coming Savior, to the coming Messiah. And this uh, stanza two is simply a matter of uh, what what was the phrase that you used there? Inanimate grammar? Metaphorical gender. Metaphor, inanimate grammar. Uh, metaphorical gender. And uh, if you want to have this conversation, uh, we're happy to have it. But uh, it is uh, it is certainly not, nothing worth uh, having a church fight or division over. Is it, Pastor? No, not at all. In fact, it's kind of a silly little thing. I hadn't known people felt that way. But, uh, I mean... If I have no problem calling the ship King George V a her, uh, it shouldn't be an issue here because we're then referring to the object itself. In this case, wisdom in the hymn, in the George V thing, a ship. Okay. Uh, my professor that uh, was so vehement against stanza two at the seminary was Dr. Wan Young G, a very faithful man, and I wish he were still here so we can ask him, but he's singing this hymn in heaven. Uh, let's listen to stanza two, LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as we go into our second break. Oh, yeah. 
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We are at episode 54, looking at LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Going out and coming back from our last break, we heard stanza two, O Come, Thou Wisdom from on High. Very, very important teaching, and uh, we don't want to get bogged down with the, uh, with the uh, wordplay and the grammar. This is clearly teaching us about Jesus, the promised Messiah, referred to in Proverbs 8 as wisdom. Uh, let's, uh, let's move to stanza three now, and uh, I have to, have to tell you, we've, we've got lots of recordings of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We don't have a single one that sings all seven stanzas. We, uh, we, we can find other places that have these stanzas, like from movies and things like that. And so what we're listening to is a, uh, a set of traditional Christmas uh, Advent hymns sung by a traditional choir, and we have five stanzas that we're going to hear, but we're going to cover all seven stanzas. We're going to move, move a little quicker now in these uh, next two segments. Stanza three says, O come, O come, thou Lord of might. And I'm really trying hard to find where this is. It's the great O Antiphon for December 18. So you're really going to have to teach us here, Pastor. You want to read the uh, O Antiphon for December 18. O Adonai and ruler of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai, come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. Okay. So who is this Adonai? Well, uh, Adonai is the way you say Lord uh, in Hebrew. So again, we have a Hebrew word that's brought in here. And so we're talking then, the, the Adonai we're speaking of is uh, the Lord God Almighty. And in fact, rather than say his proper name in the ancient times, the Jews would say Adonai in place of it. So we have an intentional Hebrew Old Testament connection, just like we did in the previous stanza, with wisdom. And now it is Adonai, but we are talking about the Lord specific with regard to Mount Sinai, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai. What does this have to do with Advent, Pastor? Well, um, it has a lot to do with Advent because, again, when God gives the law to Moses, in essence, his word is coming. Uh, and in fact, we, we wouldn't really have a huge problem saying that the, 
Lord who appeared in the burning bush is Jesus. Um, before he had flesh, of course, but it is Jesus. So Jesus is talking to Moses and sending him to set his people free from the land of Egypt and slavery, and also then giving them the law that shows their sin so that they might look forward to his coming when he comes in uh, human flesh with the Virgin Mary. Come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. Are we talking about Moses stretching out his arms and giving us the law? No, again. Or are we talking about Jesus stretching out his arms on the cross? Again, we're talking about Jesus, and I'd say even more so than just his arms stretched out on the cross, I'd think of the, the words of the psalm that says, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the right hand of the Lord exalts, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. That's, again, uh, teaching us about Jesus. Okay, uh, beautifully said. Stanza three says, O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Pastor, is that a uh, faithful versification of that O Antiphon? Yes, it is. Uh, maybe it didn't put in the name Moses specifically, but that's really not the focus. Uh, the focus is, again, the word coming to God's people. Okay. Let's move on then to stanza four, and we actually have audio. Uh, the choir is singing stanza four, so we'll get a chance to do that. Uh, December 19, the O Antiphon. Pastor, you want to read that? Yeah. O root of Jesse, standing as an ensign before the peoples, before whom all kings are mute, to whom the nations will do homage, come quickly to deliver us. Okay, the root of Jesse. That sounds uh, like some Isaiah talk there, Pastor. It is Isaiah talk. Um, uh, a root shall come from the stump of Jesse, and that's again a foreshadowing of Jesus. Okay, and stanza four reads... O come, thou branch of Jesse's tree, free them from Satan's tyranny, that trust thy mighty power to save, and give them victory or the grave. Uh, we got a lot of theology going on here in stanza four. This uh, branch of Jesse's tree, uh, a stump shall grow out of the, or a root, a branch shall grow out of the stump of Jesse. And uh, that's Isaiah 11. Fra free them from Satan's tyranny. So before we had uh, kind of a general tyranny, the tyranny of sin. Now we have Satan specifically named as the chief enemy that trust thy mighty power to save and give them victory or the grave. How does this root or branch of Jesse free us from Satan's tyranny, and give us victory over the grave. Well, uh, the branch of Jesse goes to the cross and dies and uh, sheds his blood willingly to forgive the sin of all. He lives a perfect life in our place first, uh, and then he rises from the dead, the first fruits of all of those that sleep. And so essentially Christ is the one doing this. He's defeating Satan, crushing his head, and giving us victory and promising us eternal life. Yeah, but we're, we're in the season of Advent here. We're thinking about the baby Jesus in the manger. How, how is this an appropriate uh stands at the thing at this time of the year yeah that's the uh, the joke from uh you know the ricky bobby movies whatever with um 
Will Ferrell, right, that he'd rather pray to baby Jesus rather than old Jesus. <laughs> but the uh, reality is the only reason that baby Jesus came is because he was going to die on the cross. That's the whole reason that he is born. Uh, and, uh, you know, you always ought to think of the manger with a cross growing out of it because that's why Christ has come. Beautiful, beautiful. Let's listen now to stanza four, LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's really hard for me to not have that stanza four be my favorite stanza in the whole hymn. Now, stanza one is the most familiar by far, and Emmanuel, God with us, uh, the the beautiful prophecy from Isaiah chapter seven. But it is not often when you have this clear of a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ over sin, death, and the grave in an Advent hymn or Christmas carol. Pastor? No, it's not, and I think that's one of the keys that makes this a really great hymn. Not only is it beautiful and easy to sing, but it also does carry rich theology from all over Scripture, which has its fulfillment in Christ. And that is why this is a hymn that you should learn and memorize and teach to your kids. All right, let's take a look at the antiphon now for December 20, which corresponds with the stanza 5 in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Pastor? Stanza 5. Um, uh, December 20, Antiphon. O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can close. You close and no one can open. Come and rescue the prisoners who are in darkness and shadow of death. Okay. Uh, o key of David, scepter of the house of Israel. Is this an Old Testament reference or is this a reference to the book of Revelation? Uh, it's to both of those. In fact, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Ha ha. So what is this key thing? Um, you know, uh, a key to lock, a key to unlock? Uh, yeah, I mean, so a key uh, has authority to open or close things. And so in that essence, that's what we're talking about here. Um you know, without a key, I can't get into my house. And so when we're talking about the key of David, we're really talking about, again, Jesus, who has the authority to open the gates of heaven, uh, who has the authority to set us free from sin and to raise us from the dead. He opens all those doors for us by his own life, death, and resurrection. We are prisoners, according to the second half of the Antiphon. We are prisoners, and that's because of our sin and the tyranny of Satan. And the, the key of David, the one who's going to come, who is the key, and who opens up life and salvation to us. We're in darkness. We're in the shadow of death. And what he opens, no one can close. What 
uh, he closes, no one can open. Are we talking here, Pastor, about the forgiveness of sins, or are we talking about the the door to heaven? Yes. <laughs> All right, very good. Let's uh, let's take a look now at stanza five and see if this is a faithful versification. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. What do you think? I I think again it is a faithful versification. I mean. You can't make things exactly perfect, but it is talking about the reality that because of Christ, our heavenly home has been opened, uh, and the reason for that, of course, is our sins are forgiven. It is, uh, it's interesting to me that you could do a faithful versification on each one of these O antiphons and come up with two or three or four verses just from each O antiphon. That's how rich and full of absolutely amazing theology that uh, that we have here. Uh, we do have stanza five. And so let's listen now to stanza five, LSB 357, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We need to take a short break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 54. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship uh, during the Advent season or any time during the year. We worship exclusively out of LSB, Lutheran Service Book. We sing exclusively Lutheran hymns. We have a, a wonderful liturgical choir that enhances our worship, and we'd love to have you join us 8 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings at 6.30 year-round. You can listen on uh, K. NNALP 95.7 here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Check us out on the website, uh, do a little search, and um, all of our programs are archived at uh, KNNA Theological Programming. Love to have your feedback. Today, we are looking at 
LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We've looked in pretty good detail at the first five stanzas of this hymn. We have uh, six and seven that we need to look at, and we also need to give it a spin through the Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher. So um, the stanza six, and again, we don't have an audio of that. Stanza six is based on the O Antiphon for December 21. The O Antiphon for December 21. Pastor, do you want to read that antiphon for us, please? O day spring, splendor of light everlasting, come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Okay, now the the light-darkness metaphor or imagery should not surprise us at all, but we've got a little bit more than that going on here, don't we? What is this specific reference to day spring? Well, day spring is an archaic word that we probably don't use as much anymore, but it it has a a sense of the very beginning of the day or dawn, um, or it can also mean the beginning of a new era or order of things. And I think both of these things are exactly... um, what it is implying here. And so, for example, you know, like W.B. Yeats used that word a lot, but we don't use it in our common language anymore. And so we're talking about how Christ's coming into the world sets in motion the next things of God, or in other words, the the promise of resurrection, the promise of eternity, how we'll soon inherit the the, the new heaven and the new earth when Christ brings this world to its end. So what is it that sets in motion this new order of things? Is it the incarnation, uh, God taking on flesh and blood and uh, the creator becoming one of the created? Is it the sacrificial death of the God-man Jesus for the life of the world? Is it Jesus bursting forth from the grave, bottle his bodily resurrection on Easter Sunday? Is it his ascension into heaven and his rule of power and might uh, till the end of the world? Is it his promise that he will return and bring a new heaven and a new earth? Uh, what is the day spring that we're talking about here? Yes, uh, it's all of those again with with maybe a better answer would just be Jesus, right, which encompasses all of those things. And so we, we can't just narrow it down to just one bit of it. It's the whole uh, whole burrito. Uh, yeah, you didn't want to give Kuhlman any credit. He's the, he's the whole enchilada guy. Uh, well, let's take a look now at stanza one, and let's see how faithful the versification is to this uh, particular O antiphon. O come thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us. By thy drawing nigh, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. What do you think, Pastor? I think, again, um, it is a faithful reinterpretation of it. I, I do like the O antiphon emphasizing the words from John's gospel when it says, enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Uh, you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Uh, and that's maybe not as clear as it could be in that particular verse, but it still carries the same idea. And uh, the, the greatest darkness, the greatest shadow that hangs over us is that 
shadow of death. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We've got a lot of uh, wonderful biblical images that come forth. All right. Those who dwell in darkness, um, behold on them as shown forth a great light. Yeah, great epiphany theme there, yep. that light. Okay, uh, Pastor, let's take a look at the uh, last O Antiphon, the O Antiphon for December 22nd. O King of the Nations, the ruler they long for, the cornerstone uniting all people, come and save us all whom you formed out of clay. Okay, so king of the nations, ruler they long for, cornerstone uniting all people. We've got four great word pictures there. And then come and save us all whom you formed out of clay. So we have salvation, we have creation, we have king or the kingship of the messiah uh a, a, the king who is a ruler that is longed for yet to come the cornerstone that unites all people we've got half a dozen wonderful biblical themes all in that little tiny antiphon pastor your observations on that yeah and i mean i think again the the verse in the hymn does a good job on trying to fit those in but it's difficult uh, to fit all of that into one versification. Um, and so some of it's missed. It doesn't talk as much about creation in the hymn verse uh, or stanza, the hymn stanza. Uh, and uh, it does try to talk about how we're united by saying our divisions cease. It says it the opposite way. And yet um, it does the best it can in the space it has. And instead of the king reference, it uh, uses the title Desire of Nations. Oh, you'll come you'll to notice, though, at the end of the verse, it does call him the king of peace again. So yes, we so have king in there, it's just different. We have king in there, but it's at the end, and it emphasizes that desire. We are longing for him to come. The, the part of this uh, stanza that really gets me is, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Boy, isn't that a message we could use today? It really is, and not in the cheesy way that politicians use it. You know, um, you have to unite because I win an election, or you have to unite against the guy who won the election. Rather, this is a unity that comes in confession of faith and unity in doctrine, a true fellowship that surpasses all understanding. Pastor, what is the only way, not only according to stanza seven, but what is the only way, according to God's word, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, that our sad divisions will come to an end? Well, the only way that it actually will happen is when Christ returns and brings this world to an end and takes us to the world that is to come, the new heaven and the new earth, uh, where we'll live with God face to face for eternity. Amen, amen, amen. That's what makes this a great Advent verse and Advent hymn. Let's listen to stanza 7, LSB 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yeah. 
You know, Pastor, it just dawned on me that one of the things that we haven't really talked about is the refrain. And uh, the refrain, as we talked about before, it's that uh, plain song refrain. It is uh, very, very similar to the the verses themselves. Um, What do you want to say about the refrain? Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. What's what's going on in this refrain? Well, um, I think the refrain then indicates the Sunday to which it's to be used within the liturgical calendar, which is Gaudita Sunday or Rejoice Sunday. And in fact, uh, in the, the Latin original, uh, that's what we're singing, Gaudé, Gaudé, Emmanuel. And so again, you see here how the liturgical influence uh, of the church is put into this particular hymn to indicate how it is to be used. We we have kind of a mournful uh, tune. It's it's not it's not a dirge, but it is a little bit mournful. And sometimes the organists make it more so by playing it too slow. But it is uh, it is a little bit of a mournful tune, and yet we're singing rejoice, rejoice. And so that's really an Advent theme, isn't it? That that joy that comes even in the midst of our repentant time of the year. And who's he going to come to? Who is this Messiah going to come to? Israel, the new Israel, the new church. The church, yes. Okay, Pastor, we've worked our way through here. We've got to uh, we got a crank here to get through the Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher. Uh, is Jesus mentioned? Yes. Okay. Um, he he is mentioned by a ton of different biblical names. Uh, number number two is clarity. Is the song clear? It is, especially if you know your scriptures well. Aha. Mysticism. Is the song about the things God has done or about my own emotions? It's all about what God's doing. He's coming to us. It doesn't uh, deny our emotions, but it's about his work. Law and gospel. Clear. Very, very clear. Is there any explicit false teaching? No. And uh, anybody uh, that wa- that wants to jump on that theme, you know, with regard to that pronoun in stanza two, um, we we just have to get out our Hebrew grammars and uh, check the scriptures, not only in the Old Testament, but also Paul is comfortable in Corinthians using the uh, uh, f- feminine gender. Is that the way to say that? The feminine gender to to re- refer to Christ. Um, uh, as a hen gathers her chicks, Scripture often talks. Jesus with ref- talks. <laughs> yeah, Jesus talks that way. So we don't need to get caught up or bogged down there. Pastor, um, how are you going to rate this hymn? Well, I know what I'm going to do because uh, I, I like the hymn. It teaches Christ very clearly, and it has all the great theology in the verses, so I'm going to give it a 10. But I know you probably won't because it has one specific week in the church year where it could be used, so I know you'll probably give it an 8.6 as a result. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to give it a 10 all the same. Yes, and uh, I'm going to give it a uh, 9.9. Uh, because I love it, and it is a little bit. Uh, it it is. I wish it was sung more often. I wish it was sung at other times of the year. And uh, you will note, Pastor, that uh, 
you have uh, you have been hearing your uh, your wonderful hymn "Wake Awake for Night Is Flying." You've been hearing that more often in church, haven't you? Oh, we're working on it. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I know more so than that. All right. Well, this has been episode fifty-four of At Home in Your Hymnal. We've looked at LSB three fifty-seven. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let's uh, let's hear that first verse again as we come to a close. God's richest blessings in Christ. Oh,